0: the Road to Easter, and uh, I want to welcome those that are streaming live. God bless you. I pray the ministry of the Holy Spirit would prevail in your life as well. If you want to turn to Mark chapter 16, or you can follow along on the screens as always. Sermon card is available through digital means, our digital media. But Mark chapter 16, verse 12, will be the foundational text for us this morning as we conclude this series. Mark 16, verse 12. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. I want to teach a message today titled, The Road to Emmaus. The Road to Emmaus. Let me pray. Father, in Jesus' name. I bind every demon and devil that opposes the work of God's Spirit in Jesus' name. The blood of Jesus has defeated you. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal Jesus to hearts and minds, that you'd set at liberty, captives, that you'd pull down strongholds, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. I yield to you, Holy Spirit, make much of Jesus. Lord, we thank you. You continue to build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, through this series, we have made it down several roads. We've made it through the Garden of Gethsemane. We've made it through Calvary and the death of Jesus. And now here we're looking at the road to Emmaus. I don't know if you noticed, but in the text that we read in Mark 16, it said, after that, that being on the day that he was resurrected, after he had uh, encountered... Um, the women and, of course, Peter ran to the tomb and saw the tomb was empty, that after that, he being Jesus, appeared in another form to two of them, to two of them. I want to talk for a moment about that phrase, another form. When you think about that phrase, another form, we need to understand that a goal today is for us to think of this text and the events recorded in this text of a picture of transition. Now you say, now why is that important to me, Pastor Chad? Because all of us will face and experience transitions in life. And here in the life of these two disciples and the disciples following Jesus, they were in a moment of transition. In fact, this transition was one from walking by sight, the sight of being able to, with their physical eyes, see Jesus, a transition from being able to hear Jesus with their natural ears, a transition from being able to follow in the the physical footsteps of Jesus, to one, of depending upon the Spirit of God, to follow God's will. In fact, if you look at, the latter moments of Jesus' earthly ministry, His last teachings and His times with His disciples, you see Him in these latter moments begin through what He both said and did to transition and to prepare His disciples for this transition. The transition of Him returning to the Father. And then He and the Father sending the promise, Holy Spirit. So that phrase, another form, is getting us as readers, is helping us look at the text and the event to understand this from a lens of transition. That a transition is taking place. And I want us as hearers today to think about, as followers of Jesus, there's a needed transition And there's a necessary transition for all of us to experience of transitioning from thinking about Jesus as only encountering Jesus in the physical, but encountering the Father and Jesus through the ministry and the role of the Holy Spirit. A transitioning to walking in the Spirit as the new covenant repeatedly exhorts and instructs us to do. Now, I want to say up front today because we do have many peers and we have people that uh, watch and um, uh, stream online that are not a part of this community, but they're friends or peers of us who have further, um, let's say, doctrinal training than others, uh, brothers and sisters, and um, have seminary, Training. I want to say up front today that what I am presenting and the way we're looking at this text, we're not talking about modalism. Okay, that is a heresy and an error. Meaning, we we believe in one God, yet as revealed in His nature, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, so we're not talking about modalism, but we are looking at biblical language where it says He appeared in another form, in another form. Now, Luke, who was a a close of course, follower of Jesus, was also a doctor. And as a doctor, he was a more systematic thinker than Mark. And so our founding text was found in the Gospel of Mark, but Dr. Luke, being a, a detail-oriented doctor, let me just give you a word of advice, you need to find a new doctor if your doctor you see is not very detail-oriented oriented are or very systematic in their thinking. You need to see a new doctor. But Dr. Luke gives us a more thorough account of what we read Mark and his account. And so I want to read this. If you'll turn to Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. I want to read you a large portion of Luke's gospel regarding this road to Emmaus. Luke 24, verse 13, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day, this is the day of His resurrection, to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. So they're leaving the city and they're heading towards the countryside. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people. And how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the things to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going. And he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us? While he talked with us on the road, and while He opened the Scriptures to us, so they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with Him gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how He was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now as they s- said these things, Jesus Himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and some honeycomb. And he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Then He said to them, Thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. He led them out as far as Bethany, and He lifted up His hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while He blessed them that He was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped Him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. Now one of the things I want to highlight in what we just saw in Luke's account is Luke uses this phrase, restrained eyes. That as Jesus appears to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus in another form, Luke highlights in verse 16, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know Him. Can I remind you and I, if you're not aware already, that we all have filters. That we all have measurements that make it often difficult for us to be objective. The truth of the matter is, is oftentimes we feel like we're being fully objective and seeing the world for what it is, seeing reality for what it is, seeing another person for who they wholly and fully are, and yet, because we have filters and we have measurements, it makes it very difficult for us to truly see the whole picture and reality. Here are the two disciples. Guess what they have as their current filter? They have the filter that they just saw him be crucified and died. They have the filter of their experience. They have here, the text highlights, the filter of their sadness. And here the filter of his recent death and the filter of their sadness restrain their eyes and restrain them from the ability for seeing the person with them completely. From seeing the full picture. This makes me think of what is often referred to as the man maker. Now if you're not familiar with that phrase, the man maker, let me tell you the context the phrase is in and it might trigger your memory. It's regarding the film industry, the man-maker. Let me explain. In the movie business, sometimes Apple boxes are called man-makers. Why? Because over the years, they, the film industry, solved the question, when your actor is too short for the shot you want, what do you do? And the answer to the question and how they solved it is you have him stand on an apple box or apple boxes. And many leading men in movies and the film industry were made a leading man and a popular actor because of an ap- apple box. Therefore, an apple box is often referred to as the man-man. Maker. In fact, David McRaney talking about this says that to make short actors such as Tom Cruise and Al Pacino, Humphrey Bogart seem taller, film crews have also used special shoes, low camera angles, and specially constructed out of proportion door frames. They have even dug long trenches in which the other people in a scene walked alongside the leading man while the camera was running. But why do we Because I know some of you and you have spent a lot of money in, in the film industry. So why do we want a leading man to be tall? It's what has been now referred to as the halo effect. The halo effect is when a person has a specific desired trait. That trait influences all other measures regarding that person. And as humans, we have filters. We have things that restrains our eyes from being able to see a person or a situation completely. One of the filters is, is some reason in humanity from generations since time being, we have a filter that we want leaders, men, leading men, to be tall. And that bias makes us experience what's called the halo effect. Meaning we're vulnerable that if someone is tall and we desire that trait as them being tall that therefore we think all the other traits we would want in that person they automatically have. They automatically have. And the issue with restrained eyes and the halo effect is it restrains our eyes from seeing completely and holistically, which brings us next to dealing with assumptions. You and I do not just have restrained eyes, meaning you and I do not just have filters that hinder us from seeing people and others completely. We also have assumptions and assuming attitudes. Look here in the text. I want you to see in verse 17 and 18 of Dr. Luke's account, It says, And he, being Jesus, said to them, the two on the road to Emmaus, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Watch this. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only? Now that's not a positive tone, I can assure you. That's a cut down. Are you the only one? Where have you been, dude? How are you the only one that doesn't know? Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? Hello, Cleopas and the other disciple. The one you're speaking to? The things you're talking about? He's the one those things actually happened to. But they had assumptions. Just like they had things that restrained their eyes, they had filters. And their filters and that which restrained their eyes and their assumptions kept them from seeing the full picture of what was happening in the moment and who the person fully was walking with them. Did you know, as humans, we have a height bias? Now, bias is a real popular word in the days we live in and the cultural tensions in America currently. But listen to me. Listen, biases have long existed and been experienced long before tensions in America. There has been a height bias. Even early on in Scripture, the first king, when the nation of Israel demanded a king, even though the invisible God was to be their king, the king they chose was one who was a head taller than all of the other men. And God even warned them and said, Your bias of wanting that tall king, listen, just because he's tall doesn't mean he's competent. And he is going to take from you, he's going to add taxes to you, he's going to do all of these things to build his own legacy and, and, and name. And they said, We don't care, give him to us. He's tall. Did you know that 80% going all the way back to 1904 of the shorter candidate for US president has lost? Height bias. Did you know statistically, taller people get paid more? See, I'm trying to prepare you for the business meeting tonight. <laughs> that's what I told them in the first gathering now if you're funny about money it's a joke it's a joke listen but statistically taller people get paid more not only that listen taller males overwhelmingly 80 plus percent make up CEOs of large companies in our nation there's a height bias it's related to what is called the halo effect That, listen, when we have a desired trait, when we find that desired trait in another, we filter the whole person and picture and reality of that person through that one desired trait. David McRaney puts it this way, beautiful people seem more intelligent. Strong people seem more noble. Friendly people seem more trustworthy and so on. And yet, that one desired trait does not equate to those other things necessarily. So one desired trait influences all the other ways we see and measure a person. Here's the point. You ready? We all have filters. We all have assumptions. We all have biases. And why does that matter? Because remember, we're looking at the text from an angle of this being a prophetic text seeking to prepare us regarding how to deal with transitions in life. And the next thing I want to highlight from the text is in verse 25, where Jesus says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, and all the prophets have spoken. Notice that phrase, slow of heart. Did you know in the Gospel of Mark and Mark's account, when Jesus right after this appears to the eleven and he sits down and eats with them at the table, it says in Mark 16, 14, he rebuked their unbelief and watch this, hardness of heart. Here we have two phrases, slowness of heart and hardness of heart. What's going on here, friends? Listen, the point is this that we're making. Our restrained eyes, filters, and assumptions make us susceptible and vulnerable to being slow of heart and having hardness of heart to believe God's Word and God's prophets and God's will for our life. Our biases, our filters, our assumptions become hindrances and make us vulnerable to be slow of heart to believe, slow of heart to trust the Lord, slow of heart to transition to what God's will might be for us or what God wants for us. Now look at the next thing I want to highlight here is Luke 24 and 29. The text says that as Jesus is walking with the two on the road to Emmaus, and though he appears to them in another form and he begins to engage them and ask questions and talk with them and they recognize him not, that then it says as they get near the village, Jesus indicated he would have kept walking. But they, in verse 29, constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. They asked the one walking with him to abide with them. This is a prophetic foretaste and a prophetic picture. See, Aaron's not the only one drawing a picture up here today. Me, through looking at this text, through preaching, is trying to paint a picture for you of understanding how Jesus is preparing and teaching about transitions. Transitions. And it's a prophetic picture of the transition that's about to take place, how Jesus is going to physically, in His physical presence, be removed from them. And yet, all of the disciples still want Him to abide with them every moment. And it's a foretaste of how though Jesus' physical presence would be removed, the Father and Jesus has made a way for His abiding presence through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And He's trying to transition them from depending on the outward Jesus in physical form, audible hearing with their physical ears, being able to follow His physical feet, to now being dependent on hearing Jesus, being led by Jesus, seeing Jesus, following Jesus through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and His full role under the new covenant. And this is why in the latter moments of Jesus with His disciples in John 14, 16, He tells them in preparing them for the transition, and I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, watch this, whom the world cannot receive, Why? because it neither sees. You see the transition? Of engaging the world and seeking to only follow and know God based on the outward world and the outward senses. To the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, disciples, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. Notice Jesus talks about another helper. The helper, the Holy Spirit, who helps us overcome these obstacles that we see in the text of restrained eyes. Who helps us overcome our biases. Who helps us overcome the halo effect. That by thinking that through one trait we can fully know a whole person. Or watch this. Or thinking that because we know one aspect of Jesus, that means we know all there is about Jesus. Or because we know one aspect of God, that means we know all that we could ever know about God. No, no, no. The helper, the Holy Spirit, helps us overcome these assumptions, these filters, these things that restrain our eyes, that seek to hinder us from believing and being quick to trust, quick to follow, quick to hear, quick to obey. Now I don't know about you, you, but as a follower of Jesus, who can't physically see Him, and physically hear Him, and yet I do want to be able to f- quickly trust Him, and quickly follow Him, and quickly obey Him. Am I the only disciple like that? Or am I in a church church A wrong church filled with too many lukewarm people. Are you, as a follower of Jesus, do you want to be quick to trust Him? Quick to, absolutely. This is what this text can speak and is applicable to you and I in our daily life, moment by moment. The next thing I want to highlight is in Luke 24 and 31. It says, Then their eyes were opened, and they knew Him, and he vanished from their sight. I want to talk a minute about how they had open eyes. They knew him, and yet then he vanished from their sight. That's interesting. Here, their eyes are open. They now know Jesus. They know it's him. They they have grown in their knowledge of him. And yet now with their eyes open, once they know him, he vanishes. Wow. What's going on here? It's a prophetic picture of the walk of faith. That though now our eyes are open, and yet not seeing Him, we believe in Him and rejoice with a joy inexpressible and full of glory. That though now as followers of Jesus our eyes are open, and yet because we can know Him, yet with our eyes open we don't see Him, we can still learn to hear and follow Him. But the way to see Him and follow Him and hear Him is transitioning from depending on the outward world to transitioning to being dependent on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is what we're seeing here. The road to Emmaus is about the transition to learning to walk by faith and not by sight. Learning how to encounter the Father and the Son not just through outward things but through the inner dwelling, indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. Of how to be led by the Spirit. Not just led by what your eyes see and your ears hear and circumstances in life and what other people say and other pressures of the world trying to conform you but how to transition to being led by the Spirit and a Spirit-led life. prophetic picture beforehand of this transition into the new covenant realities of the walk of faith no longer by sight but now walking by depending on the abiding person of the Holy Spirit living within us that we can know Jesus even though with our eyes open we don't see him and yet we still can see him by faith through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and yet, not hearing him, and yet we can still hear him by the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. And yet, not physically seeing what door Jesus goes through when we have three doors of opportunity before us, we still, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, can see the steps that he and what door he goes through that we should follow him in. And so, here up to this point, what we're looking at and seeing is how. This text, this event, its a prophetic picture of the transition of Jesus appearing in our lives and then Jesus appearing in our lives again in another form. The form and the person of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's ministry under the new covenant. Say another form. Now let me talk to you about burning... Within, And Luke 24 and verse 32, notice next the disciples' response. It says in verse 32, And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while He taught with us on the road and while He opened the Scriptures to us? The text is highlighting that what just took place here Jesus appearing to them in another form and what transpired in that moment that it caused them to burn within. Listen, it's highlighting a burning within, not a burning without. Why? Because again, it's a prophetic picture of transitioning as followers of Jesus from being dependent on outward things to learning to depend on the ministry and being filled with the Holy Spirit within. What caused them to burn within? Well, it says, it highlights in the text, His voice while He talked with us. It highlights in the text when He opened the Scriptures to us. What's that mean? Listen, listen, listen. You want to know why there's thousand plus denominations? You want to know why there's so much disagreements and bickering among brothers and sisters? Because you still have disciples who hadn't made the transition they think that through their own ability that you and I can understand the text. No, 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 no. It takes Jesus through the ministry of the Holy Spirit to open hearts and open our lives to actually truly understand what the text actually means and the substance of it. And as Jesus talks with them, and Scripture highlights in this moment His voice, then His ability to give revelation knowledge, to unveil the heart and the meaning of the text, to unveil and give revelation on the spirit of the text. Not just read it, not just mentally know it, but unveils it. It highlights that the result of that is burning hearts within. Can I tell you, you know why there's so many cold and lukewarm believers in Western Christianity in America is because they're not hearing His voice within by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know why there's so much coldness and lukewarmness? Is because we have Western Christians who don't prioritize the ministry of the Holy Spirit and therefore there's no excitement about Scripture because it doesn't get revealed. There's not an unveiling that causes their heart to burn for Jesus. Here's my point that if you and I will heed the transition from depending on outward things to learning to depend and welcome the ministry of the Holy Spirit, your heart can stay burning for Jesus. Regardless of what you go through, regardless of what's taking place around you, that there will be a burning passion for Jesus because the Word won't just be black and white ink on a page. It will be a revelation and a burning in your heart. That it won't just be what Jesus used to say and what Jesus used to say to people. There will be the inner voice of Jesus speaking to you by the ministry of the Holy Spirit and your heart will stay on fire for Him. Oh, hallelujah. This is New Testament. True biblical Christianity we're talking about. Jesus spoke of this transition in John 16 13 he says when he the spirit of truth has come he will guide you into all truth you know why there's such coldness and not excitement about Jesus and what he's doing is because without the ministry of the Holy Spirit you can't be guided into more truth but when you welcome and fully embrace the ministry of the Holy Spirit your heart will stay burning why? because the Holy Spirit will keep guiding in You into more. Somebody say more. There's more. There's more. But Jesus. You love Jesus? You say you love Jesus? You really love Jesus? Jesus. Him. Not a preacher, not a denominator. Jesus said, it's the Holy Spirit who will lead you into all truth. The Holy Spirit who will lead you into all truth. So a goal for you and I, a goal for followers of Jesus is where you and I, where we do not just have to warm ourselves with the fire of God in another, but we have come to have a fire burning within. This is the transition of transitioning from depending on the outward world to find fire to warm us in the coldness of life and the hardships of life, to transitioning to depending and being filled with the Holy Spirit to have a fire burning within regardless of what's taking place without. Hallelujah. Burning within. Now let me talk about communion within. And Luke 24 and verse 35, there in our text of Luke, He says, And they told about the things that had happened on the road. Watch this. And how He was known to them in the breaking of bread. This breaking of bread is a reference to what Jesus instituted in in the night of His betrayal. Days before this moment with His disciples where he took of the bread and he broke it and says, this represents my body that would be broken and given to you, and this cup represents my blood that I give for you. Then Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 says that the Lord has commanded his people, his church, to continue to take the Lord's communion. The body representing His body that was broken and the juice representing His blood that was shed. Because in that, His body and blood, the new covenant was established. And here it says as they talked about that and how He was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now you and I as followers of Jesus, listen, in communion, we fellowship with the Holy Spirit and we taste and we see how Jesus is the bread of life and how He is good, how we are complete in Him. That in communion, in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, we grow in knowing that Word of God that was made flesh, Jesus. In communing and fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit while we eat, while we talk, in holy communion, while we commune with the Spirit of God in each other, we grow in knowing the Word and the will and the way of God for our life. See, listen. It's communing with the world within that we learn to know the kingdom of God and how to live in the world without. See, some of you don't realize yet, you've not made the transition, but today's your day. That there's not just a world with, without you that you live in. There's also a world within. Let me give you a little science illustration. We now know through science and that as vast as the outward universe is, how much space, planet, stars, that the invisible inner universe is just as vast. When I was some of your age or when I was in middle school or high school like some of you, there are things now that's been discovered in the invisible world that wasn't discovered then that I never learned about. You know, when I was in school, we were still at like the proton level. Now they're way beyond that of things that's been discovered even within the protons the same thing you got to understand when the religious asked Jesus how the kingdom of god would come with op- with observation he said no 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 the kingdom of god's first going to come in the unseen on the unseen the kingdom to come the world to come the age to come first comes on the in the unseen it first comes within the child of god and here's the point When you learn to commune with the Holy Spirit within you, the Holy Spirit will help you then know how to live in the world outside of you. As followers of Jesus, you and I don't have a chance to live successfully according to God's will in the world without, without communing with the kingdom of God and the Spirit of God within us. So there's burning within, there's communion within, then there's power within. This transition of depending upon outward things and outward form of religion, where uh, Paul said in the last days, there'll be many have an outward form, but they denied the power. The power. It, it's the outward form dependency. And New Testament Christianity is, no, 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 something has happened first for us on the inside. And in this burning within, in this communion within, there's also a power within for you and I. Notice in Luke 24, 49, Jesus tells them right before He ascends, He says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Someone say power. Notice he talks about the promise of the Father, the the coming full role in ministry of the Holy Spirit for New Testament biblical Christianity under the new covenant. And he says the power of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is power for you and I to be able to walk in this world representing a kingdom to come, the power to be established that we would not be moved just by what we see and just by what we hear in our natural ears, but we would have a power to be established in the will of God. Power to be witnesses. Power to testify that Jesus is King and He's Lord in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. But watch this, also power to rebuke the fear that attacks us on the outside and tries to fill our heart on the inside. Power to love people that are difficult to love. To love enemies. Power to make wise decisions when we have decision overload in the life. That we face. Remember, Paul writes to his son in the face, 2 Timothy 1:7, he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. That the ministry of the Holy Spirit is power within, power to rebuke the spirit of fear without, power to love people around us, and power to have a sound mind to make wise decisions as we walk through this world. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit is burning within. The ministry of the Holy Spirit makes possible communion within. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit makes possible us having power within. So as we begin to conclude, when you think about lessons on the road to Emmaus, and you think about how this is a prophetic preparation, an illustration of transitioning from seeing to believing... A transitioning from knowing God just through outward forms to knowing God by the ministry of the Holy Spirit inward. A transitioning from trying to win without knowing the Holy Spirit within. There's lessons on the road to Emmaus to help us in the transition. Maybe you're saying, Pastor Chad, why should I prioritize the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Because I'm going to tell you, without the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you'll never continue to have a burning heart. Without being filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll not have the power to consistently walk and rebuke fear and to walk wisely in a world that's trying to form and conform you to its passing away lustful desires and lawlessness contrary to our Father. So here's some lessons. Number one, the Holy Spirit, come on band, is how to have communion with Jesus in another form. I don't believe there's one person here, in earshot of my voice to this sound system, that has ever shook the hand of Jesus. And yet that physical hand of Jesus we read about on the days of earth is the hand that healed the leper. Is the hand that healed a person who was isolated from being able to engage with their family and society because of leprosy in their life. It's the hand, it's the mouth that spoke, the physical mouth that spoke the Word of God that healed the woman with an issue of blood that made her feel unclean, made her feel isolated and alone. The hand that healed the sick And yet you and I have never physically shook that hand. How can you and I access the power of that hand? Oh, because the hand of Jesus still heals. The hand of Jesus still moves. But it's in another form. It's through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, the only one who died and buried and rose again, Himself said it's impossible for Him to lie or He couldn't be raised from the dead, said that it's through the Helper and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There's power to heal, power to forgive, power to be released, power to commune. Where Jesus that used to think about just being far, far and away in a galaxy of far away becomes an ever-present reality to you through the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. That a kingdom that seems so distant to your future becomes an ever-present presence to you moment by moment through the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. That the reality of eternity and that you were created to live for eternity and you are going to live somewhere for eternity becomes more and more an awareness in your conscience through the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling some people, And maybe you're watching that you've known about Jesus, you've known church, you've known God, you've known religion, you've known a Christianity that is outward, and the Holy Spirit is seeking to apprehend you. Jesus is calling to you to tell you there's a transition, there's more to biblical New Testament Christianity of learning to hear the voice of Jesus, to receive the healing touch of Jesus to be led by the feet of Jesus, but through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that He and the Father sent. That's what makes the difference between a person that grows up in church and knows outward, but don't have enough power to live holy through the temptations of middle school and high school and college. For some of you adults who came to faith lo- later in life you change those temptations into whatever they are in your season of life but it's learning that the way to have a heart that stays burning from Jesus is to receive the help he sent, the ministry of the Holy Spirit and be filled with the Holy Spirit in Jesus name secondly the Holy Spirit is how to have removed what str- restrains our eyes the ministry of the Holy Spirit is how to have our biases, how to have our preconceived notions, our assumptions, our filters, our wrong measurements of people and God and the world and reality removed. Jesus said, oh, when the Holy Spirit has come, He'll lead and guide you into all truth. And that means He's got to remove the biases, remove the wrong measurements, remove the assumptions and tr- try to restrain our eyes to see Jesus for who He truly is God for who He truly is Humanity for who they truly are or people in your life for who they truly are Let me just tell you I'm so excited about next month's series I feel an undertow Because there's so many people in western Christianity That needs to be loosed and let go From things That have bound them In a weaker form Of Christianity God has so much more He's provided through the finished work of Jesus. Access for you and I. We can live beyond having just the halo effect. You know what the halo effect does? It's where people say, I'm not attending church. Because, you know, I was in a connect group with a friend. But See, the halo effect is they found one characteristic in the friend and therefore they just thought, well then, that friend is perfect. And they filtered that friend just through one good characteristic. Listen. I don't know. The halo effect can blind you from being able to receive all that a person is. And there ain't none of us on earth that in all of who we are has reached all that we can be in Christ. And the halo effect is what lies pe- to people and deceives them. And where people think that they're going to go to hell or they're going to rebel against God and they're going to be able to be justified because they're going to blame some brother or sister or some preacher in certain church. No, no, no. You're letting the halo effect deceive you. You look to a church or a preacher or a friend or a person to try to find everything you would ever want to be good or in that. You're not seeing reality. Listen, there are good things about you, good things about me and there are things about us that still need to be transformed to grow to the likeness of Christ. And we live in a time now where there's so much self-righteousness in the culture around us because of one negative trait, then therefore we're gonna write them off, cancel them. My God, none of us can stand as if We have full perfection on our own. If not for Jesus, where would we be, friends? But Jesus, listen, for you and I to stand more and more in righteousness and truth has to lead us to embracing the full ministry of the Holy Spirit that He sent. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit is how our assumptions can be overcome. Holy Spirit's able to renew our mind fourthly the Holy Spirit is how God abides within us how God becomes more real to us I remember laying in church Sunday after Sunday we had pews back then even before they modernized and got cushions on the pews we had still just wood but I would lay down there 11 year old 12 year old I didn't care even at 13 I think some I was still laying down mommy's lap trying to get a nap on the hard pew. I counted every light in the sanctuary. I had counted boards. Uh, my, my biological father, who was who owned an archery place before I was born and, and was a hunter his whole life, bow hunter, he shot an arrow and, and created the, the uh, securing up in the way high in this church for the sound system. That's how they rigged it up. <laughs> shot it with a bow. I mean, I evaluated everything laying there. And yet, like in the Old Testament, the little boy that grew up around the temple but had never heard the voice of God, he was laying there in bed that night. Finally, he heard something. And you see, he went to the older minister and said, Did you call me? He said, I didn't call you. Boy, go lay back down. Three times. Because why? Listen, listen transition sometimes we're slow of heart he laid down three times and the voice of God's spirit three times came on the inside of Samuel and he began to know God in a new way not just based on outward things oh, but inward revelation in life why is this important friends because our upbringing in the world And sin's effect is when we're feeling needy, hungry, thirsty. We think that it's the world out here that we're going to be able to quench the thirst, feel the empty, find sufficiency. And as followers of Jesus, no, 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 no. Through the fullness of God's Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, God places a world within. That you can go and you can commune with the Spirit of God and you can drink of His goodness. You can draw from His peace. You can be filled with His power. You can find something that is beyond the temper of this world. Through that commune with the Holy Spirit, you begin to shine. Not in your own light, but a light of God shines through you telling others there is a better way a better option. There is an unseen world and an unseen king. He's more real than what we see with our natural calling you. He's bidding you. He alone can complete you. I feel his tug here this morning on some of your hearts. He's after you with his love and his kindness. Number five, the Holy Spirit is how with our eyes open not seeing him, yet we can know him. That as we go through life and we can't see Jesus physically yet, as we go through life and we see trials and hardships and devastation and so much taking place in the world around us, and yet with our eyes open, yet we can't see Jesus. You know, where are you moving? What are you doing? Yet we can know Him through the ministry of the Holy Spirit on the inside. Number six, the Holy Spirit is how we have communion with Seven, the Holy Spirit is how we have power within. The power is within to be able to live wisely without. You're not going to find the power without to navigate what you're going through without. As followers of Jesus, the transition is now to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The power you have to learn to access is within to know how to navigate successfully without according to God's good pleasure for you life. Number eight, the Holy Spirit is how to burn within. The Holy Spirit is how to stay burning all your days of following Jesus. I don't know about you, but I've been around the church for 41 years and I'm not always burned on the inside. And I have seen by the numbers, by the numbers, people that were burning without and yet weren't burning within. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be someone that just burns without, but don't burn within. I don't want even the things on the outside that's attached to Jesus to distract me from the reality of still burning within. I want to be more burning in my hunger for Jesus and hearing His voice within than ever before, regardless of what's taking place without. And it's only by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You will never stay burning for Jesus without being filled with the Holy Spirit. Number nine, the Holy Spirit is how to have a burning heart for Jesus. Lessons on the road to Emmaus. Eleven, the Holy Spirit is how to have Scripture move from your head to your heart, where you don't you don't just have to live knowing what it says, but can access and experience what it says. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is how to have Scripture move from your head to your heart to get revelation that changes you, that changes situation, that fills your heart with faith that can move mountains, with love that can love the unlovable. Eleven, when what Jesus did in person to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and the other disciples is now accomplished by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Meaning, the way He talked with them caused their hearts to burn, the way He opened Scripture to them, the way He moved them from doubt and slowness of heart and hardness of heart to believing and trusting in the promises and what God had for them, now Jesus does that through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is why friend, you should prioritize the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Twelve, the Holy Spirit is how to live a life continually praising and blessing God. That's why Paul said, you want to learn how to stay filled with the Holy Spirit? He said, keep a melody in your heart to the Lord. Always go about singing and praising God in your mouth. Why? Because your heart and your mouth is linked. Your mouth and your heart is linked. And it's through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that you can continually praise God. And that's why James 3 said, there's only one tongue tamer. There's only one who can control the tongue. Our tongue's so been affected by sin poison so got a hold of our tongue that begins to try to direct our life away from God's will and God's goodness and there's only one who can tame the tongue and that's why God Gave the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can tame our tongue where our tongue continues to praise God, that our tongue stops complaining and murmuring but just keeps praising God right in the midst of it. Why? Because we have access to an inner world called the kingdom of God that is unshakable even when our outward world is shaken. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful opportunity we have. And lastly, the Holy Spirit is how to burn within commune within and have the power of God within. I want to ask you lastly, friends, some questions that you can use to reflect this week and as we leave. The question for you as a follower of Jesus, praise God for that, but have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you received the promise of the Father? Have you been filled with the power from on high? Have you received being filled with the Holy Spirit? Maybe Some of you here today have received the Holy Spirit in His full ministry. The ministry of Him filling you. The Holy Spirit. You surrender your volition, your control to the influence, the helper that the Father and Son Jesus sent called the Holy Spirit. People say, oh, remember when Paul, pastor, said, uh, you remember when you received the Holy Spirit? When you believed? listen, Paul speaking to people when he knows that of the time they actually got filled with the Holy Spirit, you still have to remember the original audience of texts of Scripture. So today we can still ask followers of Jesus: Have you received being filled with the Holy Spirit? Maybe some of you have. The question then for some of us is: Have you grieved the Holy Spirit? Grieve means means to resist or push away or to neglect. And you and I who have received being filled with the Holy Spirit, we can begin to grieve the Holy Spirit and we lose the ability of experiencing the burning within, the communion within, and the power within. What do you do? You just acknowledge. You just confess. I'm sorry where I've depended on my own efforts. I'm sorry where i grieved you through the words that I've spoken, Holy Spirit. I'm sorry where I'm not yielded to you. Ask the blood of Jesus to cleanse you and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you again. For some of you, the question is, do you talk to the Holy Spirit of God? The Holy Spirit is just as much God as the Father and just as much God as Jesus. Do you talk to the Holy Spirit of God? What about this? Do you ask the Holy Spirit, who Jesus said is your help, the helper? Do you ask the Holy Spirit for your help? Some of you think that God has been withdrawn. He's not hurt you. No, no. God, through the Son, Jesus is seeking to get you to transition to realize that the method that His help comes to you regarding the things you've been praying about is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Will you ask God to be filled with the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name?